he's done in my life has made me who I am. You know, and so some of you need to get the right view of yourself and quit listening to the world tell you what a Christian is. You know, when we go to the prison, we do a lot of prison ministry. Now, let me read you the scripture, and then we'll go into this. Ephesians chapter 1, if you ever want to know your identity in Christ, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is a great place to go and camp for a while. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, how? By the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, to the saints who are at Cedar Creek. And the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, starts off with grace, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice how many times it says this reference, in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. If you're a child of God, i got to touch on this real If you're a child of God, most most people, even believers, are scared to death of the day of judgment when I die and I stand before the Lord and I'm going to answer for all these sins. I'm going to do all this stuff. This right here says, if you're in Christ Jesus, read the Bible, believe the truth, quit listening to your feelings. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation world that we should be what? Holy, without blame, standing before him in love. Having predestined us, to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus himself. See, who gets all the glory. According to the good pleasure of his will. It means he had great pleasure in doing this for us. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Grace is all about what he can make. Grace is him creating is what it is. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. And then I'm going to stop right here. In him we have, present tense, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has made abound towards us in all wisdom and in prudence. And, and the good stuff keeps going, but I'm going to have to stop right there. So I want you to, I want you to look at your life today and, and answer the question, are you living free? Are you living in the freedom that Christ Jesus has died to give you? Okay, you know a lot of times we go out to the prison. I've learned so much since I've been in that in that ministry. One of the things that we often hear about in our prayer when asked for prayer, a lot of them ask to pray about my parole. I'm coming up for parole. I think they only come up for parole ever so often, and they know when it's coming. And they stand before this parole board. Okay, and so they they want to pray about that. Depending on their sentence, you know they they do that. But but they receive parole. Their they, their release comes with conditions and terms. And and uh, if you look at the definition of parole, can we have that? If you look at it, I looked at the definition of parole this week, and I've got a point for this. Parole, also known as provisional released or look at that word, supervised released, is a form of early release of a prison inmate where the prisoner agrees to abide by certain behavioral conditions, including checking in with their designated parole officer, or else they may be rearrested and returned to prison. I think there's a lot of believers today who are living life on parole instead of living out full pardon. And I think there's a lot of believers who project Christianity to the world as if we're living on parole. 
In John chapter 8, verse 34 through 36, notice what Jesus says, okay? He says it. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say unto you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. That word commits actually in the Greek means to abide in for long periods of time. You, you, you think about, you make, it's what your heart desires. It's not a, hey, I sin, because a lot of us go, I sin every day, it means I'm a slave. No, this, this means that sin basically forms and molds your thought process, your life. It's a picture of an unbeliever. It's a slave of sin. What does the next verse say? And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. You remember it says we've been adopted as sons. Therefore, if the son, look at that word right there. I want you to see this. If the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Okay? If the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, now listen to me. As an unbeliever, you know, all the way through the scripture points this out, we're enslaved. If you're here and you say, I've never been born again, never opened my life and trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that's what the Bible refers to as an unbeliever. It doesn't matter how much you go to church, have you been baptized, if you, you know, give money, prayed a lot. If you've never been born again, John chapter 3, Jesus said you must be born again, okay? If you've never been born again, then you are enslaved, condemned, and abiding in Satan's prison, awaiting your execution. You know, in a prison, these are some of the things I learned. You know, they, they get visits. Them, them dudes have their own little world going inside that prison. I didn't realize they can get just as much drugs in the prison as they do out of the prison. And there's gangs in the prison just like it is out of the prison. And they got their own kind of way they get food, and they got their own way that they work. And they, you know, they do a lot of the things in there and, and have their own little world going. Here's the thing, in so much that it almost appears as this ain't so bad. But here's the thing, they're still in prison. I, I watched a movie and I heard it tell a story on it. And uh, he said this, he said there was a man that was on top of, a, I think it was a 10-story building. He said when the man jumped off, each, peop- each person in the windows, each floor as he was going down said, how's it going? He said, so far, so good. But he's dead now. And there's a lot of people who are enslaved. You've never trusted in Jesus. People out, outside the church day enslaved, never trusted in Jesus. And they're living in, like these inmates, their own little world. And it seems like they have a form of life. And they're just like the dude that jumped off the building. How's it going? So far, so good. So far, so good. So far, so good. And then all of a sudden, you wake up and your day of execution is there. Okay? Red, red, you're going to have to sit down, boy. <laughs> Their day of execution is there, okay? And so in that, just as a sinner who's in prison, we may dress our life up with money and drugs and alcohol and sinful relationship and religion, a world of things that makes it seem as though you have it all, And you even have visitation on Sunday. But there's going to come a time and a place where you figure out you're still just living in prison. You're still enslaved to that sin. 
And this is what I want to focus on today. There's also a believer's prison. People who have been set free. That Jesus has saved your soul, but you're still living as an inmate. You know, there are those like inmates who try to live as if they're not free. Or is it not, if they're not in prison, there are those who are actually free, who are living as if you're an inmate. And that's living life on parole. You know, many, many of us, I think most people live and view God as if you're living life on parole. You see God as a, a supervisor. He's always watching you. He's always looking. He's always seeing if you're going to mess up. When's the next bad thought? When's the next time you gossip? When's the next time you see him? When's the next time you say something? When's the next time you do something? You view God as he's just watching, as if he's supervising everything in your life. You have to live by certain behavioral conditions. When you come to church, how many of you tell your kids, you know how you better behave? You behave a certain way around church people. You behave a certain way around your worldly people. And you think that if I live up to these behavioral conditions, then maybe I'll stay on parole. You have officers to report to. Starts off as your mom and daddy. They're the officers you make you go to church a lot of times. Then it goes to the youth pastor. Then it goes to the pastor. Then it goes to the wife or the husband. Then it goes to other people in the church. And you always feel like you got to give a report. You know, honestly, if you don't come, a lot of times I ain't going to call you. I don't want you. You don't, you don't got to report to me. You're here on your own account, okay, just as I am. And so in that, a lot of times, are y'all with me this morning? A lot of times, because you know what, what we do? With parole, there's always that fear of going back. Oh, uh, you know, I know the Lord. Some people have this view of, well, the Lord forgave me, and I received salvation, and he forgave me of my past sins, But I have to live up to a certain way, a certain standard, a certain performance in order to keep God happy with me with the hopes of that I don't get rearrested. Some people call it losing their salvation. Some people think that God's just, you know, waiting to zap you if you don't do something that's right. Whereas if you look at the scripture, Jesus said, who the son makes free is free indeed. So what freedom is he talking about? Free from condemnation, free from shame. Free to love and to worship and to walk with Jesus. We ought to have a great joy and a hope. If you grasp what grace does in your life, what Jesus makes you, there ought to be a great hope and a great joy in our lives. You know, actually, if you want to read later, Isaiah chapter 60, I was reading last night, verse 1 says, Arise and shine. Arise and shine. Does that describe your life and your walk with the Lord? Will you rise above the culture? You rise above the darkness. You rise above all the, all the junk that, that you see on social media that, that tries to bring you into this prison of darkness. And if you keep reading that chapter, it actually says, during a time of great darkness and a people who have a gross darkness over them, I will put my glory upon you and you will arise and shine. God's people are set apart because we are in Christ Jesus. Free from control and the intimidation of Satan. How many of you realize a lot of you, the reason that you're living in such a way that is you feel defeated is because you're listening more to the word of the devil than you are to the word of God. 
if you're not in God's word and God's word is not in you, all that stuff you got going on in your head, you're just an open game. The devil just speaking lie after lie. He might use other people. He might just put things in your head. He uses the TV. He uses social media. But those lies, and that's why Jesus said in the same chapter, in John chapter 8, he said, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But what we do is we listen to all these different things and then we and then we don't go to God's word and believe what it says. And so Satan always has something that he wants to control your life, intimidate you with. You know, a lot of you in worship, you come in and in your heart, I believe there's a lot of believers who are in their heart like, man, I, w- I would really love to be able to just worship today. But you know what? I had a bad week. I said this. I got things I'm really dealing with in my life. I'm not perfect at this point. And the devil's like, no, don't, 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 don't sing. Don't have joy. Don't encourage other people because you haven't got everything right yet. That's the word of the devil. People are coming to the church, live to the word of the devil. And so also free from the power and the miserable results of sin. You realize if you're a child of God, you are free from the power of sin. There is not any sin that you can't overcome in your life. None. Not any of them. You can overcome any of them. I get so tired of listening to people go, well, they're addicted to this, and they're addicted to that, and you know, they're addicted to that. Like, no, let's not make it a medical condition. It's called a sinful condition is what it's called. There's a lot of things kids are addicted to that a belt will remove the remedy of that. You know, or if parents would go, I'm not going to have that anymore. We're not going to do that anymore. When my kids are addicted to this, we'll take the phone, step it on the floor, crush it, and go, I don't care what everybody else has. You ain't having one. You know, dad's the addiction breaker. So, you know, and, and, and so I, want, I just want to say, you're not. The Bible clearly points out in Romans chapter 8, if you are a born-again child of God, sin has no power over you. But if you listen to the devil, he'll tell you it does, and you'll keep bowing to it, and you'll stay in that prison living on parole. I want to talk to you about living on a full pardon, full pardon. Okay, grace... Like we see in this, grace is what Jesus can produce. Not many people like to be rejected. That's why there's a lot of people who don't want to share the gospel. I have just fear of rejection. You know, and that fear starts off when you're a kid. You know, when you're standing there and they're picking kids for team. No kid likes to be the last kid. Why? Because you feel like you've been rejected. Or when you start dating. I'm sure many of us have all felt rejection. Nobody wants to ask somebody else to go on a date with them because they don't. There's the fear of saying no. So you ask some dude to go ask her, to ask her friend if she might think about liking you and that kind of junk. And it's all because why? I just don't want nobody to tell me no. I don't want to be rejected. There's a lot of people who don't come to church. And you hear it all the time. I think a lot of it's in their mind. Listening to the devil. I don't go to church because then people think they're holier than me and they're judging me. And this line, like, who's judging? Has somebody come up to you and actually said something where they're judging you? You know, let me let me explain this to you. A preacher speaking what God's word says is not judgment. It's what God's word says. And and there's no holier than thou spirit in this church. I can tell you that for sure. But what I'm saying is the reason why they don't want to come is because they don't want to be rejected. That's why. That's why. You know, like for instance, I don't even like to talk about it, but why the homosexual move is so wired up, stirred up, and ready to fight and doing parades and all that stuff. You know why? Because they don't want to be rejected. And now the world's like, you've got to accept it. And I'm like, no, I don't have to accept it at all. I'm not going to ever accept it at all. 
And you can call me whatever you want to. The problem is not on me. The problem is you because you don't like to be rejected. And let me say this. Anybody who goes against God's word, who doesn't follow and trust in Jesus, is rejected. God rejects sin. Period. And, and but here's, here's what's, I don't like to be rejected. You know, nope, nobody, but here's what's awesome. In verse six, it says, to the praise of what? The glory of his grace by which there's that word he made us what? Accepted in the beloved. That means God doesn't reject those he's made accepted. If you're a born again child of God, Jesus, by his grace, by his power, okay? Let me read this to you. Grace is what Jesus can produce, accomplish, cause, and make by his own choice and power without your help. That's what grace is. Grace is not, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder, I'm going to do better, and I'm going to try to gain your acceptance. That's religion. That's performing. Grace is, Jesus said, I know that you're dead in your trespasses and sin. I know every sin you have and ever will commit. And because I'm so good and because I can, I'm going to make you accepted. I'm going to take care of your sins. I'm going to wash them away. I'm going to declare you holy, spotless, blameless, in my love, in my presence, all the time, unchanging, never changes. When you begin to respond, because grace is about receiving and responding. When you hear the word of God and go, I'm going to receive that. Some of you need to start practicing receiving and not receiving. Okay, receiving, the devil likes to say a lot of things to you and you need to come to a place and go, I ain't receiving that. I just ain't going to receive that. But when God's word speaks, isn't it hard sometimes to believe the things that God's word Like, man, I just, I don't feel holy. And I don't feel blameless. I don't feel this and I don't feel that. Well, get over your feelings and just go, God, because you said it, I'm going to receive it. I want you to make me everything that you can make me. That's what grace does. And that's what your faith if you're a born again believer, your faith is rooted, it should be, in the grace of God. I do what I do based on what I believe He can accomplish. What He can do in my life. What He can make me into. You know, I always pray, God, make me into the pastor that you can make me. Make me into the day that you can make me. Make me into the husband that you can make me. I've already messed up everything, Lord, but I believe that God can take whatever, anything that you bring in your life and go, okay, maybe you made a mess. Maybe you need to start looking to God's grace and go, Lord, I have made a mess. He's like, okay, well, I agree, you made a mess. But God, you can make. I want to see what you can make. What you can make out of my kids. What you can make out of my future. And it starts with the word, in him. In him, in verse 7, in him we have redemption. You see, God's not a supervisor. God's a super savior. So I want to show you this, and maybe this little, this little thing will get you, okay? Everybody ought to love Kool-Aid. Yay. Okay. We're going to say that this is your life, all right? You know, the Bible says we're a vessel. This is just a vessel. This is your outward body. Okay? Inside, every one of us have a spirit. Before you come to Jesus, you're like this water. Just plain, dead in sin. Nothing great about you whatsoever, okay? Somewhere along the way, you hear the gospel. Christ died for my sin because he loved me. Paid the full price so that I could be forgiven. He made a way. This is what we ask you to do. You just open yourself to go, Lord, I'm going to open up and see what you can do. Make. Jesus, always, every time, he pours himself into you. 
Now, watch this. For you folk who struggle with fear that you're going to lose your salvation and all that stuff, you need to get this a bit. What does it mean to be in Him? Now, at this point, you can't say, give me a drink of that water. Immediately, just in, in less than a couple of seconds. The absolute total nature of what is in this vessel radically changed. And here's a scientific fact that I checked on. You cannot irreverse Kool-Aid and make this water again. You can't. It's irreversible. What I just did in just a matter of seconds, What I, you know what I did? I just made Kool-Aid. That's how simple salvation is to Jesus. You understand, at the point you come to repentance and go, I want to trust in Jesus. Prayer opens up the vessel and he pours himself in, his spirit stirs it up a little bit. Now here's the problem with a lot of believers. You see yourself as water and Kool-Aid, me and Jesus. God sees you as. You're changed. Now listen to me. Sin still, this, this hasn't changed. Everything I just did is only what's on the inside. This didn't change. This is still, your flesh is still the same. You still have the same sinful nature. And I can live a life that beats this up, mars this up, dirties this up, and everything else. And I'm not promoting sin. Because here's the thing, once this changes, this is, this is the main thing in your life, not this. And there's a lot of people that you need to figure out what Jesus made out of you is irreversible, unchangeable, and it is because he wants to. That's what grace does. Religions, yeah, amen. The Lord's good. Scientists. Redemption, I'm going to give you a few words here and then we'll get you out of here. It says, in him, when that takes place in your life and you're here today and go, I've, I've never had that change. It takes, about, it takes about two seconds. When you come to your place in your heart and go, you know what, I need Jesus. Man, it's hot in here. Somebody grab that AC for me, please. Thank you. When Jesus changes your heart and nature, he begins to stir in you. He begins to mold you. He begins to make you what he intended for you to be prior to you being in prison of sin. Redemption is this. He said, in him we have redemption. The word redemption, I looked it up. It's not a conditional release. It's a total redemption. It actually, in the original language, means to pay the ransom demanded. So what is the ransom? Satan kidnapped us with sin, lured us. We bought into it. He took us and he put us up like a slave in the prison of sin, waiting upon the execution of death. God's like, I want them free. Sin says, I demand the ransom of death. Death, suffering, hell. Jesus said, I'll pay the full ransom. When he went to the cross, he paid the full price demanded so that you could be released. He bought you back. And we just sang a song, I am redeemed. That's what redemption is. It's by, and notice what it says, that we have redemption. How? Through his blood, through his death. It's not through your performance, through your church attendance, through your Bible studies, through all these things that a lot of people try to do for the wrong purpose. It's not through those things. 
says it's through his blood. He finished everything that was needed to finish at the cross. So you're no longer, just like we read, you're no longer, once you've received that, a slave abiding in sin or in prison. You're a son abiding in the house of your father. It says the slave doesn't remain or abide forever, but the son abides forever. You walked out of prison. You walked into your father's house. It would be like if you were actually in prison. Your father bought you, redeemed you. He comes and picks you up and you go home. That's the life of a believer. We've been set free. He met us there. We're, the Bible says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 that you are a purchased possession. And that not only has he redeemed your soul and spirit, but the whole purpose of Christ's return is we're going to have full redemption one day. You know, one day, Blake is going to fall over dead if the Lord didn't come back. He might live to be 95. You know, toothless, sitting in a wheelchair, eating a piece of candy, choke. That's it. We're going to say a few things over him. Bury him six foot deep or, 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 or burn him to ashes. However you want to do all that. Take him out, set him in the ground, and the worms will finish the job. A thousand years could pass by. But the Bible says one day, First Thessalonians chapter 4, that Christ will to himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ, that means if Blake, which he is, in Christ, he trusted in Jesus. He's Kool-Aid. And because he trusted in Jesus, though his soul and spirit immediately goes to be with the Lord, one day God's got, oh, you're not fully redeemed yet because I created you with a glorious body. And he's going to, he's going to be like, he's going to shout. All of a sudden, Blake's body's going to raise up out of that dirt, no matter where it's at. Maybe he's going to, wherever he's going to be when he's dead. God's going to take that worm dirt and he's going to speak just like he did with Adam. He's going to breathe the breath of life. His soul and spirit, that's that Kool-Aid going to enter into a new vessel and redemption will be finished. Man, good stuff. What he started in us, he will complete. All right. And then the last thing is you got the forgiveness of sin. I want you to get this. Maybe maybe this ain't going to help a lot of people. Maybe help one or two. It helped me. You know, the forgiveness of sin actually means this. A full pardon as if they had never been committed. Now, listen, because str- I'll be honest with you, I struggle with it. Even though I was raised to believe the eternal security of the believer. This is, you know, I was like, man. You know, there's a few verses if you twist them a little bit and that kind of stuff. And you, know, you hear different things. So I look at this. And what settled this for me, absolutely, was Isaiah 53, where it talks about Jesus, how he bore our sins. Now, think about this. When Christ went to the cross, you wasn't even born yet. You had never even sinned, okay? But before this says, before the foundation of the world. See, God doesn't dwell in time. He dwells in eternity. It's finished before it starts with him. So when Jesus went to the cross, I want you to answer this question. If he bore your sins and God poured out wrath on his son, punished my sin in Jesus' body, what sin of mine did Jesus bear? All of them. All of them were future. Past, present, future. My sin, as the hymnal said, not in part, but as a whole, was placed upon Jesus. Your sin as a whole. Things you hadn't even done yet. God already knows about it, and he still loves you. Poured out wrath and hell on his son. Jesus' last word is finished. Everything that needs to be done was paid in full. At the point in time 
that you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sin, that means who he, you assume you enter into Christ. There is a union that takes place, a Kool-Aid, and now you have taken the nature of Christ. You're no longer just water. Now God looks at you and he sees you in Christ. You are a son or a daughter of God, irreversible. And everything that, that you have done or are going to do sinful, God saw in Christ on the cross. And now God treats you as if you are his very son, the beloved. Six of y'all are happy about that. The rest of you want to work out your salvation, all right? I also want to show you this. What, why are we forgiven according to what? The depths of our repentance, how much we cry, if we go forward, what preacher we prayed, what prayer we said, what word we said. doesn't say that. It says you have the forgiveness of sin according to what? The riches of His grace. Everything to do with salvation, your relationship with Jesus, I want you to get is not about you. All you did was, and even the Holy Spirit, enlightened you as a lost person enabled you to hear the gospel and you simply by faith make a decision you go i'm gonna open my lid up because i want jesus or i'm gonna keep it closed at the point in time that you humble yourself to go i need jesus he's like i got this i'll take everything from here i'll take everything from here not according to how well you perform or the amount of guilt that you carry or how much ministry you do you see grace is the game changer you know, when I was a kid, we played neighborhood football bunch. And I remember we had this, like, in our mind, you know, Super Bowl going on. A bunch of kids out in a, in a grass bird pasture. And uh, we was all about the same age. There was maybe two years difference in, in both sides and all that. And I remember we wasn't doing so good. My team wasn't doing so good. And we was out there carrying on. And then all of a sudden, because you don't have rules in neighborhood football. As a kid shows up, he's a whole lot bigger and a whole lot older than everybody else, but he, he ran around with my group. He's a little late, but he showed up right on time, just like Jesus, amen. And all of a sudden, when he comes onto the team, he's like five years older, way bigger, way better. You know what we did? We just handed him the ball. We weren't playing flag. We didn't do sissy football. We, we sticker bird tackling, amen. But when he got there, two things happened. Either, either I would just hook, boom, hand him the ball, and he'd just about walk down the field, just pushing kids down, whole team, dragging down, another touchdown. All of a sudden, we went from a deficit to really winning big. Or he would just get in front of us, and he would. He was a game changer. See, grace is the game changer some of you need to get. Jesus enters the picture. The old devil can rough you up, and he can have you discouraged and defeated. I'm talking to believers. He can have you discouraged and defeated and depressed and down on yourself and down on the world and down on your hopes. But all of a sudden, always right on time, if you will believe and receive the grace he wants to pour out in your life, you hand him the life like you hand, like I handed the ball. And he's like, he just, the old devil comes out. He's like, whatever. He just walks right into the end zone. I want you to get this this morning. This is where I want you to, I want to finish right here. So what, what does this have to do with everyday life? Everything. This can so radically change your life, your hope, your faith, your worship, your joy, your outlook. It's a lot different than waking up in the morning and going, man, the church people are not getting it. This ministry is miserable. 
Nobody wants to this. Nobody wants to that. I go to a church. I don't say this. I've heard other preachers say <laughs> Go to the church and three out of 150 sing. You know, da-da-da, Lord, I'm getting so frustrated, so discouraged. Uh, you remember back when you first surrendered to preach? What were you looking at? I was looking at the glory of God. I was looking at Jesus, the realization of him inviting me to serve, the hope that I have. Back then, I believed, like, oh, we're going to tear the world up. These people see what I've seen and know who I know. We can turn the world upside down just like the first 12 did. That's what I believed. And then you take your eyes off of the Lord. Some of you the same. Maybe it's not ministry. Maybe it's your marriage. Oh, when I first got married, he was so cute. And... <laughs> Cute don't last, does it? Amen? Now I found out who he is. Or who she is. And I'm so discouraged. And I'm so depressed. But let me ask you something. Have you invited grace into your marriage? Because I can tell you, it, it changes everything. It's a game changer. My kids, they this, they that. Have you invited grace into your parenting? Because it's a game changer. And your life. Here's the thing. If some of you put your focus on Jesus, you start reading the Bible... And just listen to what it says about you. Quit focusing on, um, the devil wants you to focus so much on your, here's the truth. If you're a born again believer, you're, no, this is going to be hard to swallow. Okay, get some water with it. Drink some Kool-Aid. Is that me? Cody must just had a baby. Amen. If you have been born again, you're not a sinner. Wait a second, I see it. If you've been born again, you're in God's eyes. And that's the only eyes that matter. Now, in the world's eyes, you might be. But in God's eyes, and I want you to get this, in your eyes, I'm no longer a slave to sin. You sing the song. I'm not a sinner. God doesn't see me as a sinner. He doesn't view me as a sinner. He doesn't treat me as a sinner. Grace totally changes the way God deals with me because of what Christ has done. When all of a sudden all these truths start flowing into your mind, you're going to look up one day and be like, I feel like, I feel like singing to the Lord and it's only Tuesday. I just want to talk to Jesus because he wants to listen to what I've got to say. And I'm going to shut with this story. And if you're here and don't know Jesus today, man, I beg you, I beg you, please, hoping you live today. Give your life to Jesus. Most amazing thing that can ever happen. But I want to share this story with you. I don't want to embarrass him. So last night, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, if you was here, two minutes and I'll get you out of here. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, if you was here, I talked about uh, somebody in church that I was talking to and he inspired me because he said, I'm praying for double. I asked God to give me double provision so that I can use to help other people. And I was like, I like, I like that. Some of you go, well, you shouldn't be so worldly. You do you, I'll do me, all right? Because by asking for double, what I'm asking is, God, what can you do? Because I do believe you love me. And so I, so I, so I prayed, you know, God, I'm asking for double. Not only that, Lord, I want double joy, double hope, double faith, double anointing in my preaching. Lord, I want double opportunities. And I want double, God, I'm going to ask you to give me double. And a lot of people are looking at you like some of you looking at me now. He's so selfish and worldly, all right? Yeah, you're the ones working 70 hours a week just like me, so hush, all right? So anyhow, after that... You know, this week I was reading Isaiah. You can read it for yourself. Isaiah 61, I think it's verse 7. It says that he has given us for shame. He has given us double honor. goes on down and it says and the, another thing about double. So I sent that to Tracy Durham, sent it to Willie. I was like, check this out because they was in here. Or, or Tracy was. I don't know why I sent Tracy. I just picked him out. I know why now. 
So Tracy text, or he calls me on the phone, right? He said, hey, man, me and uh, Piper and Rain is out on, on the river. We're fishing. We ain't catching nothing. He said, uh, explain that verse to me. I was like, well, you know, that's what I'm talking about asking double. I'm just showing you this in the Bible. You know, the Lord gives us double if we, if we trust in his grace, walk in his grace, da-da-da-da-da. He's like, all right. And I said, hey, you know, he, do you know Rain? I'm, quick story. Do you know Rain? I hadn't met Rain. I said, is Rain coming to church tomorrow? So I don't know. And, and then Piper said, won't you pray we catch fish? And that'll be a sign. Like, well, sign is the empty tomb, but I'll pray about the fish. So we hang up. I did. Right then, I stopped what I was doing. Like, here's what I prayed. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would show them your glory, who you are, right there in the nasty Trinity River bottom, that you care about everything in our life, every aspect. God, you don't just care about church things, about religious things, about big things, about cancer and about sickness and about trials and trouble. You care about the joy that catching a stupid gar will bring to them girls. This is how I pray. So, Lord, I pray you'd show them who you are in that area of their life. No lie, ask him. Ten minutes, phone rings. Trey said, you are not going to believe it. I was like, oh, yeah, I am. He said, and, and this is what I prayed. I said, God, I pray you'd give them double. Tracy calls back and said, you're not going to believe it. I said, tell me. He said, we just caught a double. My point is, God's grace, when you bring it into every aspect of your life, to see what God can make out of what you have. That's who Jesus is. He is not just some supervisor God sitting behind his desk, watching you, waiting for you to mess up so he can take back what you think you got from him. God is amazing. Jesus is life giver, abundant life giver. And he wants to totally change, transform, and set you free in every area. But you have to decide if you're going to live on parole or you're going to walk out here today and go, I'm going to start walking in the full pardon that the blood of Jesus has given me. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? <clears throat> Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much, God, that you love us, that you love every part of of us, God. You know everything about us. Your word says, Psalm 139, you know everything, every word, every thought, and you rejoice over us. Thank you, Jesus, that before the world was ever created, you was already thinking and preparing for us so that we could receive your grace and your love so that you could take a life that maybe we've made a total wreck of, and by your grace, you can recreate it You can rebuild it. You can restore it. You can remove the things that don't need to be there. God, your glory should fill your people in such a way that the world looks at our lives and they desire what you you make. I know that you can make marriages new. I know that you can make families whole. I know that you can make sinners holy. Matter of just a few seconds if people would just see you. See your great love this morning. God, I pray people would leave here Come in, come in as water. And because they receive grace, God, they walk out totally radically changed, irreversible. And God, I pray that that truth would settle in our hearts and we start walking in victory. Put the devil where he belongs, under our feet. God, we start living by the promises of your word that you've spoken over us, that it would produce joy. It would produce praise continually. In our mouths, God, that we would have, instead of complaining spirits, God, we'd be thinking about the air conditioning instead of the heat in our lives. God, I just pray you bless every person here by your grace. If there's somebody that doesn't know you today, God, right where they stand, 
Lord, I pray they'd humble themselves, open their hearts up to you, and receive the, the love and forgiveness that you died to give them in Jesus' name. Amen.